0: Welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a generative AI painkiller pa- platform for VCSOs and security experts. For years as the general counsel for various startups, I suffered from what I call the security questionnaire problem. So one day, I figured that if no one else was solving the problem, I would. I started this podcast because I, want, I went running one day, And I tried to find a podcast on virtual CISOs and I found two. One is by my friend Greg called The Virtual CISO Moment, and the other by a competitor. So, just like how I started Clear Ups, I thought, I'll start one. Our guest today is Kip Boyle. Thank you for joining me, Kip, and welcome back to the podcast. And so, to get us going here, oh, sorry. I was was just
1: going to say thank you for inviting me back. Uh, I don't think you've, I think you said that uh, you, you haven't yet had repeat guests. But I have too much to say, so I appreciate you bringing me back <laughs>
0: um i I love that yeah i have I have actually reached out to a couple of uh people who um they were there had they had very big changes in their business mm. and uh and I think they were just too busy with those big changes. but ah. I'm so glad to have you back and I'm glad that you have so much to say because I think you uh are I think our audience will really benefit from from listening to you um <clears throat> but what I want to do is I want to set this up a little bit differently. So our last podcast that we had together, we went through your background and how you started uh, Cyber Risk Opportunities, how you have multiple podcasts, how you have, um, you're an educator as well on Udemy, I believe, like, we we went through all of that. So I kind of want to pick up where we left off so much and maybe even dive into some of the things That we mentioned on the last podcast so that if you are a listener right now, I'm going to encourage you to listen to the first podcast in order to listen to this podcast.
1: (laughs) But I won't make it required, right? So I'll try to make this standalone, but, you know, I'm going to also assume that if you want to know more, that the listener will go back and listen to the previous one we did together.
0: Exactly. Yes. And on that note, one of the things that you do is you what what I just said which is you have an amazing amount of marketing that you do and if you listen to the last podcast you talk about how you your journey into marketing and figuring out that you had to do it that you couldn't outsource that so I'd love to dive into that a little bit more how did you determine you know take us on the journey of that education about marketing
1: yeah, sure. Um, well, I won't repeat everything I said in the previous episode. I'll just I'll just um summarize by saying it took me 2 years of of study to figure this out. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a bit of a puzzle, it's something that I'd always wanted to understand, which um so that was actually fun. Uh but but I'll also say that I did it somewhat reluctantly because uh, I never started a company to become an expert in marketing, right? So, so it was it was one of those sweet and sour things, okay? Um, but I but I had to figure it out because previous attempts to outsource had failed. So what I figured out. Long story short, is that how you market and sell, there's so many ways that you could do it. And all the common things that people talk about, like SEO and buying keywords on on Google and that sort of business, um, paid ads on Facebook and so on. I tried or investigated everything. And what I ultimately figured out was the only thing that matters when you figure out what is my marketing and selling program is how who is my target customer and how do they make purchases of the things that i'm selling so if i am selling um you know uh personal items like you know hand crafted wallets or purses or something like that the way i market and sell that is going to be entirely and completely different than the way i go about uh, finding people to purchase my virtual CISO services. Okay, so um, so that was like one of the most important things that I figured out. And so that's that said, I needed to know who our ideal customer was, and that took a long time to figure out because um you know i knew it when i saw it but i was a hard time i had a hard time describing in advance right so what i did is i thought okay well who who as a customer have i enjoyed working with the most And then that's where I started. And I thought, oh, well, there's Steve. I liked working with Steve. Okay. Well, what was it about Steve that I enjoyed, you know, that made me enjoy the work so much? And I just, so I just did an inventory. And what I found out was, is that our ideal customer is a chief financial officer who's a sophisticated risk manager who works in mid-market companies. There you go. That's what I figured out. And it took me a long, long time. Now, the next step is how do these people buy what I have to offer, right? And so we figured out from that was that they buy on referral. In other words, they don't care about Google ads. They don't care about, you know, snappy uh, articles on Forbes.com, you know, cause there's all kinds of ways that you can, you know, try to get yourself in front of people, but really it came down to referral. Okay. So then, I had to figure out, well, who do they trust? And so I just like I just had to work back, work back, work back in order to figure this out. I also figured out that they do a lot of their own research before they buy. So they try to understand their problem and they try to understand how they should uh, deal with their problem. Now, 50 years ago, if 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 somebody wanted to buy something, they'd have to interact with a salesperson because there was no better, more efficient way to learn about your problem and what the options were than to talk to a salesperson. Fast forward to today, nobody has to talk to a salesperson until they're ready to buy, which meant that people who came to me like these sophisticated CFOs, they were already 60, 70, 80% through the buying process before I ever got to actually know that they were interested. So then the question became, well, how are they doing their research? and how are they educating themselves and what we figured out was that they are going to podcasts because podcasts are popular and they're authentic right because that's what the cfo's are looking for is authenticity they want an expert and they want to figure out some way to know is that person really an expert Or do they just have the trappings of expertise around them, right? And they don't want to spend their money to find out, right? So so by listening to podcasts, for example, it is a great way for them. Um, I've got courses, as you said, on Udemy. I've got courses on LinkedIn Learning. Well, those are brands that people trust. And they assume that if I'm on those platforms, that I've been vetted to some degree. And so that helps. Uh, You know I published uh, a book. The fact that I have a published book confers... Credibility—that I'm not just fly by night. You know, these are genuine concerns that our customers have. And then finally, I do a lot of public speaking. So, you, so if you don't want to spend any money to learn about who I am, how I do my work, and who and who helps me, then you know you can attend maybe a public webinar or something that I do, and then you can pivot into a, you know my podcast or my book or, or my online courses. Um, so. So that's what we did. We started with who's the ideal customer and then we've reverse chained it. And then we figured out, okay, now we know what to make. And now we know who to talk to. So for example, one more thing, we wondered who does who does our sophisticated CFO at a mid-market company, who do they turn to for advice? Like where are they getting the referrals from? Well, we figured it out that more times than not, it's either an attorney or an insurance broker. Because why? Because we asked Steve, Steve, who do you go? And we thought about like, how did we meet Steve? Oh, right. You know, Brad introduced us to Steve and Brad works at the insurance company. So, so we just looked at what little data we had and we analyzed it. And that's how we figured out
0: how to market and sell. I mean, first of all, you're saving listeners two years, which is incredibly generous of you. Um, and i think what you're offering to listeners is is such a um it's it's solving probably the number one pain point that i hear from virtual c says you know i've done mm-hmm. a bunch of these episodes now and i i love asking people the question of what's the hardest part i've but heard I you also, say that yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but yeah when i listen to your episodes that's a recurring question yeah. and the answer you're right is is this is the problem
0: yep mm-hmm. And, and I also see it online. And I see a lot of virtual CISOs kind of giving up. Um, yeah, it's because, frustrating. Right. They They see success all around them mm-hmm. seemingly happening very quickly. Seemingly.
1: That's yeah. important.
0: Yes. And so what you just said in terms of just that first step of who did I enjoy working with? Yeah. That's the customer that I want to... You know focusing mm-hmm. right and so um i, I just I'm, I'm sort of talking because i want people to understand what you just said is is so so incredibly valuable for them and and also the question i have which is what 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 how did you not give up two years i mean that's yeah. some real persistence and yeah grit yeah
1: um <laughs> thank you for asking that question because I, I, I remember the pivot point where I made this commitment to, to, that I was going to figure out how to market and sell. Well, so about, about two years. OK, so we've been in business for over eight years now. At about the two year point, I said, oh, I've got this brainwave for product market fit. Because prior to that, I'd just been selling my services as a freelancer by the hour, but I knew I always knew that I wanted to build a team and I actually wanted to have a business, and that I thought maybe one day somebody would buy the business from me, and so I started studying you know like what what is that like you know what 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 would a buyer look for in that sort of business so um so two years into it i I hired a young man to be my sales representative and then I partnered with a good friend of mine who had done enterprise software sales. Um, and so uh, so I shared my idea with him. you know I think we should sell uh, uh, what we do as a service uh, as a productized service specifically. And he was on board because he liked the idea of selling something that was out of the box. Well, we did that for two years and I almost went bankrupt <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, because, you know, my idea was, was in my own head was brilliant, um, but I, I, I made the typical entrepreneur mistake, which is um, I came up with a brilliant idea and then I, then I went around searching for people who wanted it. And, then, and it turns out that's dumb. Now, if you're Steve Jobs, you can do that right? Because he just sit, you know, he used to just sit around and, and think about, you know, what do people want? And he would never ask them. And and he just had this uncanny knack for knowing what people wanted. Now, he had a lot of failures that most people don't know about. But he had so many, you know, grand slam home runs that everybody, including me, thought, oh, well, if I can just think of a brilliant idea, people will buy it. Well, it didn't work. And then the process of these two years when I almost went bankrupt, I outsourced my idea to a very wonderful person who knew how to do marketing. Unfortunately, after two years of meeting with her every other week and trying to put my vision of what I'm trying to do into her head, it just didn't work. And I don't think it's because she wasn't capable. I don't blame her. Um, I think it's because I just didn't know how to explain it in a way that she could understand. And then I realized, you know what, I probably can't. It's it's, it's probably dumb for me to think that I ever could, no matter how I tried. And so that's when I realized when I laid off my salesperson and I said goodbye to my business partner, uh, I had burned my boats at that point to to borrow from that, you know, little uh, aphorism. You know, you you, you just declare there's no going back, right? I'm in Mm -hmm. it to win it. And so I wasn't, I didn't want to go back to being a W2 employee. I could have, I still can, I'm very fortunate. The market's hot. If I wanted to go get a W-2 job, I can. But I was like, no, I, I, I want to figure this out. And so I just took a deep breath and I said, well, okay, I'm starting all over again. I didn't go bankrupt. I almost went bankrupt. I still have money and I still have customers. I just need to pivot to what they want and figure out how to serve them the way they want to be served, not the way I think they should be served. And so that was, that was my relaunch and that's uh, and, and it turns out that's exactly the right way to do it is to start with people's pain and then work back from that which of course is what i you know described in the beginning of the
0: episode right um i, I so <laughs> uh i i, I have like, sometimes you stump me because i it just you give me so much to think about <laughs> um but i want to talk a little bit about this market that you're in this industry yeah. um because what you just said in terms of having that grit and, and following through and then and then deciding you 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 reverse engineered who your target customer was and how they got there and then you said okay well now i'm going to start pushing out all this content and i'm going mm-hmm. to really give them the the reason to get to that 60 70 80 percent decision that they've already right. made right right um and like I said, I've talked to a lot of virtual CISOs and I'm seeing a lot of people jump in and start using the VCSO terminology. Yeah. But I think I have a feeling when you started, and I don't remember if we I don't think we talked about this last time, um, it was probably called a fractional or you called yourself a fractional CISO. Well
1: actually, um... Yeah, I called myself a fractional CISO because what I learned was there was already known in the broader market space of mid-market companies this idea that they needed, for example, a chief financial officer, but they couldn't afford to put one on their team. And so they would purchase a fraction of that CFO. And if you don't work in the mid-market, you may not know this, but there are entire companies out there staffed with nothing but fractional CFOs. It's like going to um, like a bookkeeper, right? So let's say you go to a bookkeeping firm and they have like 20 bookkeepers, right? On their team and and they give you a a piece of a bookkeeper, right? Well, you can do that with a CFO also. And that's long established. And so I went, okay, that's me, right? Except now I'm a fractional CISO. And so, yes, that's that's where I started. But then pretty quickly, I heard this virtual CISO as an alternative label. And that sounded a little bit better. Uh, So I started using that. Mm -hmm. But now I've realized, no, I don't want to use that at all, because there's so much marketplace confusion about what a virtual CISO actually is, Mm -hmm. that um, it's become, it's not meaningless, but it's actually, I think, descending down to an area that I don't, I don't think I want to be in and I don't think my customers want you know these sophisticated CFOs um and so you want me to tell you what I'm seeing out there mm-hmm. yeah okay so um you have organizations like like IT service providers right so when you outsource IT to a managed service provider mm-hmm. what they're realizing is that their their business model is dying because people are going to the cloud so they don't any longer need an MSP to manage their servers, manage their firewalls, manage their routers—all that stuff is evaporating. And so MSPs are saying, "Oh, well, we better pivot to something that people want." Well, they're pivoting to cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But um, but when they do that, many of them are adopting this virtual CISO title, and 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 that and so they've got like a, a bunch of people who now go into the market at, using that title. And I don't want to disparage them, but what they're but from a skilling point of view and from what work they do, they really are like an IT security administrator or an IT security analyst. Like that's the kind of work they're doing. It's good work, right? But it's very operational, it's very tactical. And that's not what I do. I'm an I'm a strategic advisor. And I don't I don't sell. You'll notice, right? I said I sell to sophisticated CFOs. Foes. Mm-hmm. I don't sell to IT managers and I don't sell to C- other CISOs. Yep. Um, so so for me to not pay attention to the fact that whatever label I choose for myself, you know, that I don't want marketplace confusion because that's just going to get in the way.
0: Yeah. I, I, it, I've been thinking of virtual CISOs a little bit like a law firm, um, uh-huh. which obviously is my background. I'm a lawyer and I've worked mm-hmm. at a law firm. But when you at a law firm, especially when you're in an outside counsel type of law firm, you'll have your one main sort of partner um, who is in a larger group at the law firm. So uh-huh. the law firms are usually structured into multiple groups. And then you have partners all the way down to, you know, junior associates and, who have varying levels of skill. And so, um, you know, there's a partner group that is, in, in my, my world, corporate securities. And then we also have Intellectual property, and nowadays mm-hmm. you have privacy and cybersecurity, and um, you have um, uh, maybe employment. And so I've been watching this field with the virtual CISOs, and I've been thinking to myself, you know, I feel like this is kind of emerging in a similar way mm-hmm. where you may have a practice group that is uh, strategic and cybersecurity consulting and at a partner level, which mm-hmm. I would consider you. And then you may have um, another group that is, for example, like IP, where they would they would only review the intellectual property sections in contracts, but they were more on the contract side. And I'm, yeah, I, you know, I'm, you know, my business is security questionnaires. I'm thinking that there's sort mm. of a practice group there for mm. that type of um, work, and then there's also the the group of we're just going to do the pre audit work and get you right. your your SOC two or your ISO twenty seven thousand one. And what you're saying with the MSPs makes a lot of sense. It's almost like another sort of practice group but again it's mm-hmm. it's it's the main relationship is held by one partner yeah. that has the strategy side and then they pull in these special specialty you know um yeah. groups when is when it's needed but they may, but they don't they don't farm out the relationship and I'm I'm just wondering if that's where the industry would go cuz I think that would be super interesting yeah. as a model
1: Um I really like that picture that you painted because I hadn't thought of it in the in terms of how law firms set up. And that might be what happens. What I see is a little differently, is a little different. And I think it's informed by the fact that I sell to CFOs. Mm-hmm. So what I see is, um, I see CFOs as the strategy people. I see um, like accountants as... Um, as somebody who does, um, oh, I don't know, uh, like they, they can you know, they they can like keep your books, you know, like a certified mm-hmm. public accountant, right? A CPA can keep your books. They can help you with strategy questions. They yep. can answer, they can answer questions like, uh, Hey, I just bought an asset how should I depreciate it? Which mm-hmm. which schedule of depreciation should I use? Right. So they help you with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a CFO is even, you know, like they can advise you at a higher level. Uh, like if you went to a CPA and said, you know, like, how should I raise funds? Well, a CPA is probably not the best person to tell you that, but a CFO could say, well, we could do debt, we could do equity, you know, we could do these different types of equity. And then when you say, oh, great, I wanna do equity and I wanna do, you know, the blue flavor of equity, the CFO will know how to go out into the market and get that for you, a CPA can't, it's just not what they do. And then at the lower level, you got bookkeepers, right? These are just people who you give them the transactions, they make sure they're properly entered, but yep. you can't ask them to raise money for you and you can't ask them what the best depreciation schedule is because even if they think they know, they're not going to tell you because it's not their area of expertise. And right. so that's how I think of what's going to happen with us is that you know we're going to break out like that where we're going to have, and we already have job titles for this, right? We have IT security administrator. That's mm-hmm. kind of the bookkeeper. Uh, we have cybersecurity engineer. That's kind of the accountant. And then we have chief information security officer, and that's kind of the CFO. And so I, I think that is just a very natural way to segregate uh, these skill sets.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right that the industry needs this clarification because I do see companies looking for help with certain aspects of their business and not really knowing who they're looking for. Mm-hmm.
1: Um yeah, that's right. And, you know, and there's a little, there's a little confusion in the marketplace too about, you know, how do I purchase bookkeeping versus CPA, mm-hmm. you know, versus CFO. Um, but I don't see people struggling with it quite as much. For some reason, to the extent that there is a little bit of confusion, it clears quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. what'll happen is is that the bookkeeper will say, you know, I think you need to go talk to a CPA. And the CPA will say, you know, I think you need to get a fractional CFO. So they understand each other and they'll quickly refer off, but I don't see that happening. So for example, with the MSP, and I'm gonna pick on them because, you know, I I just, I'm watching what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They will not refer strategy questions to me. They just won't do it. I've tried partnering up with many different MSPs and they admit that they're very technically focused, which is the kind of the nature of their work, but they won't let go or refer to me any of the strategy stuff instead what they do is they just sort of stumble through it and do the best they can like they're sincerely doing the best they can but they're really not capable of this right and i don't know why this is i i make the the answer i make up in my mind is is that they're revenue hungry and 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 so you know they figure that you know if if there's a need on the table that that it's their right to solve it. I think that's one reason. And I think the other reason is because and again, I'm making this up. I don't know for sure because they won't tell me. The other reason is I think they're afraid. I think they're afraid that if I was to join them on their quest to serve the customer, that I would take the business away from them or that I would uh de- denigrate them in front of the customer like, you know, I'd call them out on some, you know, bad security practice and make them look stupid um these are the fears that i think that they have and huh. so to the extent that we don't refer to each other the way bookkeepers and cpas and cfo's do it'll just perpetuate the market confusion
0: yeah it's a really good point and i'm sure you're you're right in your suspicion of why they don't work i, I think it's also a little bit probably with what you said at the very beginning which is the msp business is dying because everyone's going to the cloud and right. they can get on. and their- they and they're used to
1: selling to the IT manager. They they mm-hmm. typically don't tell sell to the CIO, for example, because the CIO will delegate that to to one of their IT staffers, right, to go out and work with an MSP. So they're not really used to working strategically with, you know, on a regular basis, I think. And I think that's another sort of impediment for them. And and they want to because they know that if they can talk to the CIO, in a company that has like multiple layers of IT management, um, you know, like the the popular um, thinking is that I can sell more the higher I go in the organization because mm-hmm. they have greater purchasing power.
0: Yep. No, that makes sense. Well, I, I think it's interesting too, because you're seeing cybersecurity as a uh, business unit mm-hmm. coming now out from under CIOs. And- yeah and actually now becoming their own direct mm-hmm. line to the CEO. So I'm wondering if that's also coming into play a little bit here because their sales target is changing. Um if to the
1: extent that they're selling to CISOs, that's true, but MSPs generally don't sell to CISOs is what I see. They sell to IT managers and and VPs of IT and you know, that's kind of where they're selling to. Um but I don't I think that the 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 department change that you're describing is mostly happening at high-end firms right now. Yep. I think that will trickle down the market through the mid sized and the smaller firms. Yep. And since the MSPs tend to be in the mid sized and the smaller markets, it to be a while before they actually experience that for themselves. But mm-hmm. they're they're concerned enough about cloud, and I think they should be. Yeah. Um yeah. And I've seen some real horror stories out there too about MSPs that still are delivering uh systems management. Services that I would say are 10 15 even twenty years behind the
0: times. Wow! Oh well. Speaking of getting ahead of the times, and I (laughs) I know we're running over, but I really want to touch on this topic. So let's spend a couple minutes on it before we 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 end, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and talk a little bit about how AI is impacting the cybersecurity space. Everyone is. So I I I'm I've been out. I was at TechCrunch Disrupt last week, and so. I've been out doing a lot of talking to people Mm -hmm. specifically about how Clearops is using AI, and I've had this comment happen several times where someone says, the cybersecurity community seems to be trying to figure out how to implement AI, and no one has quite yet figured out a good implementation of it.
1: Oh, (laughs) I have no problem (laughs) believing that. I mean, um, like I remember when blockchain was the thing, right? And people would ask Mm -hmm. me like, you know, hey, how's blockchain going to change cybersecurity? And I said, well, show me a blockchain product and I'll give you an answer. (laughs) Exactly. It never (laughs) happened. And I I, I actually think blockchain is really interesting and has a Mm -hmm. lot of potential good stuff. Um, I don't feel that way about cryptocurrency, but I do think blockchain is really interesting. Me too. And so now let's talk about AI, because that's just the next, you know, hype is, you know, let's put AI into everything. And everybody, you know, ordered 10,000 stickers that say AI inside, AI inside, right? On the box of stuff that they're selling. Um, So anyway, just I want to say, yes, I I totally agree with that perspective that everybody thinks AI is the next thing, but they haven't actually figured out what to do with it. And and there's a lot of fear, too, right? Just among people who, um, regardless of their profession, uh, if they're just paying attention to AI... Well, Hollywood has done a good job of scaring the crap out of us, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's the Terminator, right? Because AI is the is the you know protagonist in the Terminator. Um, and uh, the matrix, right? Morpheus mm-hmm. tells Neo, we invented AI and AI stomped our butt into the ground, and now we live under the, you know, we live in the sewers like rats. Yep. So we're totally scared about AI. And even going back to war games with Matthew Broderick, you know, yes. the whopper. The yeah. whopper was supposed to be an AI, right? So so we're really scared. So there's so much fear and certainty and doubt about AI in general. Am I going to lose my job? And actually, I've spoken with people already, and here's where it makes it even worse. Uh, I was in uh, I was sharing an Uber with a guy recently, and he was a professional copywriter. And I asked him, I said, you know, the perception is is that certain jobs are going to are going to get wiped out. And I said, and copywriting seems to be one of them. I don't know what's going on? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I freelance as a copywriter and I've definitely seen a decrease in revenue for me because I used to do the first draft of the copywriting and then and then I would iterate and edit it and make it what the client wanted. And now the first drafts are coming from chat GPT and they don't need me as much. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. It's but let's interesting. it is. But let's go back to you know AI just in general. Well the way I see AI is the same is the same way that I believe that we as a uh, society have t- chosen to look at things like spreadsheets. So back in the 1970s, somebody invented, and it's a fascinating story if you wanna go read it. It's somebody invented an electronic spreadsheet. It was called Visicalc and it was on the Apple II for one of the first personal computers that was you know, manufactured in a way that you know normal people could use. And what we don't remember, and I never saw this, but I've read about it, is that spreadsheets used to be a giant wall With grids, and people used to walk up to them with grease pens, which is kind of the old, you know, white, dry uh, whiteboard marker. And we would manually uh, calculate what we do today automatically in Excel. Well, somebody, you know, said, that sucks. There's got to be a way to electronify it. And guess what? Everybody who was in the perfection of being a spreadsheet jockey in the old way, they all lost their jobs. Like those jobs just don't exist anymore. And and nowadays you can't get a white-collar job unless you can demonstrate proficiency with Excel, right? Because that Uh it was a calc, then it was Lotus 123, and now it's Excel. And so just basic spreadsheet skills are compute is our basic computer literacy. And I think AI is is for the at the individual level is how we should look at it for for now, which is you'd better figure out how to get AI into your toolkit, because I think it's going to become basic computer literacy in the not too distant future. And all of these academics, all these teachers who are like frothing at the mouth and, and tearing at their clothes because, you know, chat DPT lets their students cheat. Well, you better pivot <laughs> and yeah. test people differently because you're not getting rid of this. That's and, right. the idea, and the idea the idea that you're going to buy an AI cheat detector, yep. that, that is no good. That'll never happen. Uh, I've, I've seen people run the Declaration of Independence into an AI cheat detector and the thing went, oh yeah, for sure this was written by an AI. And it's like, come <laughs> on, you know, that, give me a break. So uh, so I've been experimenting with ChatGPT, GPT and now I'm over on to uh, another one called Perplexity. And here's the thing to the extent that you're going to add AI into your toolbox as a professional, you have to remember that the state of the art right now is such that you should consider these tools as overeager interns, all right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, you know they will give they're right there. yes, boss, here's the answer. but like an intern, they don't always get it right. They sound convincing, right? Because they want to serve you. Like, they're just like, I'm going to get this figured out, boss. But if you don't validate the results you get back from it, you're in big trouble. Did you hear the story, Caroline, about the attorney that submitted a brief in a Florida court? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That was like sent right to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of an AI fail. So, and it's awful. But anyway, that's what I think about AI.
0: And I agree with you, the uh, analysis to an, an intern. In in, all, in addition to what you just said, in the sense of an intern doesn't necessarily always understand the context mm-hmm. of why they're giving you work. That's right. They, they yeah. just kind of go off and do it. And then you yep. kind of look at what they've provided and say, okay, well, you know, based on my years mm-hmm. of experience and the context of this client. I need to make some massive changes. And that
1: happens all the time with a law partner who has 15 to 20 years of experience delegating tasks to an associate, right? Yes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's right. It's the, nature, it's the nature of the game.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love playing with the the new possibilities in AI. I, I worked at an AI company, a computer vision company, Clarify, from 2015 to 2018. And so mm. I don't think of this as the first wave. I think of it as one of many waves yeah. in AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I well, just this think is this... this is
1: the wave that has broken on the beach in such a big way, yeah. in the way nothing else ever has before, right? Yeah. Um, I actually played with AI when I was still an undergraduate. There was um, I took an independent study on expert systems, and I learned how to program in something called Prolog, which yes. is actually still around. Yes. And so it's a computer language that's you know that was designed to help build expert systems, and so I got I'm fortunate because I. These days, when I think about chat GPT and perplexity and BARD and all these, I I, I draw a lot on my experiences of trying to build just a very basic um, expert system with Prologue. So I, I I find it fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. And I smile that you say that because I literally was talking about Prologue with my co-founder just the other day and and how ah. that was the one of the first you know sort of applications of AI. Anyway, um, we really have gone over time. I've found this conversation to be so fascinating. I really hope our listeners do too. A lot of great nuggets. However, I'm going to end the way I always end, which is please tell people how to find you. Uh it because there's so many ways for them to find you. I'm gonna give you some yeah. time to do that.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Caroline. Well, um, first of all, if you just want to have a casual, you know, DM with me, I'm on LinkedIn. That's just where I live. Because guess what? That's where my customers live. And that's the <laughs> only reason I'm there. Okay. You just go where your customers are. If mm-hmm. they were on Instagram, I would you know, I'd be gramming all over the place. Same with TikTok. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Um uh so yeah, so so DM me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Kip Boyle on there as far as I can tell in multiple millions of people. Um, if you want to send me an email, uh, kip at cyberriskopportunities.com. If you just want to browse our website and get an idea of what we do, how we help, it's uh, cr-map.com. And that's a Cyber Risk Management Action Plan is, is that acronym. You can check out, um, I've got a, a, a podcast called uh, the Cyber Risk Management Podcast which I do with Jake Bernstein, a privacy and cybersecurity attorney. Um, If you're interested in getting into cybersecurity or you know somebody who wants to get into cybersecurity, I do a second podcast. It's called Your Cyber Path, and it's designed to help those folks. And my co-host over there is Jason Dion from Dion Training, who has helped hundreds of thousands of people get their certifications. So he knows a lot about that. Um, I've got a book. It's called Fire Doesn't Innovate. You can buy that off of Amazon in any format you'd like. Uh, And finally, I'll mention that I'm on Udemy and I'm on LinkedIn Learning. So if you just put my name in there, my list of classes will come up. And it's those two problem spaces, right? How How do you deal with cyber risk? Problem space number one. And how do I get a career in cybersecurity? Or how do I accelerate my career in cybersecurity? That's my second problem space I work in.
0: Well, anyone who works with you, listens to you, gets training from you is is lucky that they found you. And um, it's amazing how much you you push out and how much you give back to your your community and to others. So thank you for giving back to my community by coming on the podcast again. Really appreciate it. If you are listening to this podcast, um, you can find all of our podcasts, including the one we did with Kip Boyle back in the spring on um Substack, as well as on Apple Podcasts. So thank you, Kit, for joining us. Thank you for listening and see you next time.
1: See you next time.